Like, he sees the things, he sings about the things, but still late in the play, he's still asking, what do you get? I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. everyone, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Welcome, folks, to an exciting, bittersweet, as always, <laughs> big moment. The sixth time we've done one of these episodes in that it is the last episode of a season. Of the season. No worries, we will be back, but it is the end of season six of No Script Podcast. Thank you all so much for continuing to tune in to these conversations, for the ongoing conversations we get to have with each other and with you about all of these scripts. Thank you all so much. It means a lot to have you all out there tuning in and being a part of the conversation. Yeah, it's just a spectacular joy to get to do the podcast, to be supported so we can do the podcast, to have these conversations now. We're up, I mean, I I can't remember exactly what number we're at, but we're up like north of 140 conversations yeah. about plays at this point, which is just really exciting. And we have the privilege to be able to keep doing it season after season. So as we've announced for a couple of episodes now, but just as a reminder, uh, like Jackson said, a little bit of a break. Then we will return late summer, early fall with season seven. And season seven will have some new stuff, some old stuff, some stuff that we know you all love. We know that the theme months are popular and that our guest episodes are popular, so they'll be be a special guest they'll be a theme month and we love doing that stuff too so we're excited about that and excited about the really uh i think a remarkable slew of plays coming our way for season seven yeah, it's going to be a banger season, y'all. So just get ready for next year. Uh, get excited for that in the interim. Um, but we're not done yet. We're going to keep going today with another great conversation, returning to a great uh, music and lyricist uh, and talking about the musical company with the music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and the book by George Firth. Yeah, this is a conversation I have been really excited you've been, about. Yeah, you've been pining for it. I just love <laughs> company. It's my favorite Sondheim musical. It's up there amongst my favorite plays and musicals of all time. It's a show I love, love, love the idea of being able to direct someday. It's a show that gets stuck in my head, that I it hits my humor and my funny bone right on, and I find it poignant and exciting. So I, I'm really excited. I love company. I'm excited about what this conversation has been. And I've been just thrilled to be able to spend the past you know week or whatever listening over and over and watching some productions and watching interviews and reading stuff about it. It's just been a great joy. So I'm super excited for this conversation. And it's great that we get to have it. And we get to have it because we have great patrons who support us and make No Script a Podcast possible. Jackson and I love to do this podcast, but there is a cost associated with running the show, of a straight-up monetary cost, and then a time investment cost. And we really just couldn't make it happen without the support of our patrons. So if you are not a patron yet, 
please, please consider that. Head on over, patreon.com slash podcast. Easiest way to find us, patreon.com slash podcast. There you can choose a tier. The lowest tier is a dollar a month. It's $12 a year. It's, I think, very, very affordable, and easily you get that, I think, that time investment when you spend time with no script. The, the tiers go up from there, and if you can afford more, that'd be great too. Once you do that, you get access to patron-only posts over there, including sneak peeks of what's coming up, as well as reflections on different art pieces that Jackson and I see, as well as when we get to see productions that have been on the podcast. We'd like to write a little note about that, too. I just posted something the other day about a great poem that I had uh, experienced as part of a monthly poetry club that I'm part of. So stuff like that is over there on our Patreon, so go check that out. And then please just consider supporting us. That's the biggest deal. If you are a supporter already, huge thanks to you. We get to do this because of you. As season six wraps up, know that this season, as of all the seasons, are alive and on the internet because you supported us. So thank you very much for that. And now, back to the script. Yes, here we go. Okay, jumping in, I'm going to give you a short context on the musical itself. It's originally a 1970 musical comedy um, that was originally written by George Firth as 11 short one-act plays. Um, They were kind of these little vignettes on marriages in New York and this kind of single character who floats through and looks and uh, kind of examines them all and their their, uh, different intricacies. And that uh, set of scripts was uh, brought to Sondheim by Anthony Perkins, who was directing it, and Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim wound up writing the music for it. So uh, 1970 was the first production, and it was nominated for 14 Tony Awards and won six, and that's a record uh, in terms of nominations for a musical. Yeah, um, back then it was. Yeah, back then, yeah, so. yeah. Set set the record at the time. Um, the musical uh, continued to be produced. Obviously, Sondheim is, is one of the greats in musical theater, so it continued to be produced. And notably, it had a number of big revivals. Um, 1996 was the first, or I'm sorry, 95 was the first Broadway revival. It was revived on the West End on the same time. Second revival in 2006 um, for on Broadway. There was a filler, excuse me, a Philharmonic concert um, that was produced on uh, on PBS, I believe, and that starred uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Harris and uh, was the uh, as well as Stephen Colbert Stephen made an appearance Colbert in that one. Stephen Colbert was in it. Yeah, <laughs> and that production was the first production where Patti LuPone uh, was in it as Joanne. If you're a fan of Patti LuPone, she then has gone on to kind of own that role in the uh, second West End revival, which happened in 2018. Then a, a third Broadway revival was planned for 2020 and uh, had a couple previews. Alas, it was uh, shuttered by COVID. However, the good news is is that it's coming back. Uh, I believe in January is the scheduled uh, release of it on Broadway, and uh, that production is uh, coming coming back to Broadway. Notably, probably very uh, most notably about these most recent revivals is that they have been uh, revised a bit. The musical continues to be revised and reinterpreted for different times and places, and these two productions have been uh, gender flipped, at least in the main character of Bobby, who you'll hear about in a moment. Uh, but the main character uh, is normally played by a man in the in the kind of traditional version of the play, 1970 on. But uh, Marianne Elliott, who is the director, uh, reconceptualized it and gender flipped the main role. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, the the. Uh, the West End production that most recently uh, opened and closed, and now the upcoming Broadway revival has that, that gender swap element in it as well. 
Yeah, and, and there's several interviews with Stephen Sondheim about the idea of gender flipping his show. Just sort of like, well, what do you what do you think about that? And he's just truly a great theater artist. And he said what I think is a, a lovely response from a theater artist, which is this is what theater is. It's reinterpreted and reimagined by different directors and actors and production teams every time it's alive. That's what makes theater different than film. So you know, what's the harm, right? If if you get something new out of it, then it's interesting. And it's something a new take on the script. If you don't like it, then you don't like it. Oh well. Right. I'll come like, around what again. a great <laughs> response from one of the theater artists of all time. You know, there's so many playwrights out there that, and we know some because there have been some controversies recently where <laughs> roles have tried to be gender flipped. Yeah. And playwrights yeah. have crossed their arms and harumphed about it. And Stephen Sondheim, not not one of those fellows. What a great, what a cool. Cool thing for him to allow to happen in such a massive format, you know. To, right, to right. Definitely opens it up to continuing to be able to interpret this play so that it can be kind of continued to brought the great themes to whatever audience it needs to. Yeah, so for our conversation, we're going to talk about the version of the script where there's a man playing Bobby and the couples are all um, men and women couples. That's not true of the most recent revivals of the show, but the scripts that we have access to are the older versions of the script, and they all exist now in the ether. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that version of the script just as a note for you all. Company is what is called a concept musical. It's sometimes called the first concept musical. That's a little bit sketchy. It's a, <laughs> what is a concept musical and what's not is a little, it's a debate. I think it's a little bit of a debate that's like, who cares? But right. it, it's, it's a debate out there. And different people will say different things are concept musicals or not. So whether you think Company is the first one, it certainly was the one that contributed most, I think, to the form of concept musicals to the popularity of concept musicals. And essentially, what a concept musical is, is a musical where a plot does not drive the action on stage. There is a story... But the story is not driven by plot in that one thing follows another, leads to another, a choice leads to a choice, leads to a choice, leads to a climate, whatever. That is not what a concept musical is. Instead, it's um, typically vignette-focused where there are different reflections around a theme. Um, And in this case, the theme is marriage or loneliness or perhaps you think the uh, theme is like free will or uh, a choice or something like that. Um, in this case, the, the play is about a gentleman named Robert in the script, but everybody calls him Bobby. Um, and that is, of course, the famous Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. It yep, goes on yep. and on forever throughout the musical. They sing his name hundreds of times. Um, and Bobby, is, it is Bobby's 35th birthday. Um, and on his 35th birthday, his friends throw him a surprise party, maybe. <laughs> What's happening versus happening in real life versus Bobby's head is a little bit confused in the musical uh, by intention. Um, what, we, what we know is that his friends are trying, at least, to throw him a surprise party, and he has um, five married couples that are his close, close friends. 
Jones. Bobby himself is not married. I'm not sure he's single. He's dating three women, although he would probably refer to himself as single. Um, and so he's also dating three women. So those are the other three actors in the show. There's a couple of other characters that are doubled by the company, um, but those are generally the actors and the characters, the five married couples that make up Bobby's friends and the three women that Bobby is dating. And what happens throughout the show, Stephen Sondheim, I'm, I'm going to misquote him, but I'm going to try to summarize what he says. He's basically said uh, that this is a musical about Bobby sort of reflecting on whether he wants to be in a long-term committed relationship on his 35th birthday. And his friends all have their own struggles in their relationships, their own joys in their relationships. And Bobby is sort of the third wheel to all of these people. And so the play is a series of musical vignettes with Bobby and a married couple. And then there are some sort of interludes where the the, the friends all sing together. There's a couple of scenes with Bobby and each of these girlfriends. Um, and throughout the show, the question for Bobby is, um, and, and it's a question about uh, that, that's asked in one of the vignettes fairly openly, um, why is he not married yet? Remember that this show is from the 70s, and at the time, this is sort of a cutting-edge sexual and sociological ethic. Is marriage worth it? Is sex uh, only beneficial inside of marriage? Is marriage and children the path for all people? And this is a musical that sort of asks that question of a central character. Why get married? Why should I? Should I? Am I lonely? Am I not lonely? Am I happy in what I'm doing? Do I feel fulfilled in the way my life's being lived? So a couple of the notable things that goes on. He meets with uh, a couple who are uh, both uh, sort of on the wagon in their own way. Um, one of them is supposedly sober, although he drinks several times throughout the scene. The other is on a diet, although she eats uh, some desserts throughout the scene. And they have kind of a hilarious karate fight exchange. Um, and so their marriage is undergoing some tensions and problems. They keep correcting each other throughout the scene, and Bobby comments on that. And then there's a lovely, lovely song sung about what marriage is. It's all the little things you do. It's uh, the hobbies you enjoy together that's uh, juxtaposed with them fighting these like karate, karate wrestling like, moves. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, there's a scene where Bobby gets high with a couple, um, and they sort of relive their glory days of being young and getting high and getting drunk in New York City. And then this married couple decides that that's kind of the last time that's going to happen for them. They're they're older now. They have children. They have different responsibilities. Um, then there's a scene where Bobby meets with a couple who, who has decided to get divorced, and they uh, sing outside on their terrace. And uh, they, all those kinds of vignettes as Bobby lives with these couples over and over and over um, exists throughout the show. Of course, the most famous of the vignettes is uh, Amy and Paul um, on their wedding day, and Amy singing, I'm not getting married today. Don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. Paul tries to convince her to get married. Eventually, he stalks out upset. And Bobby says, Amy, why don't you marry me? And that question prompts Amy to realize she does indeed want to marry Paul. And the wedding goes off lovely. But that encounter causes the end of Act 1. Which this, the song that is the end of Act 1, which is one of my favorite musical theater songs of all time. Uh, the song is Marry Me a Little. 
And that song was not in the original production of Company. It was added later as the sort of button for what Bobby's going through halfway through the show. And the song is Marry Me a Little, uh, Love Me Just Enough, Cry But Not Too Often, Play But Not Too Rough. He's sort of imagining uh, what he thinks is the perfect relationship, the perfect marriage. Of course, some of the things he's describing are a little uh, uncomfortable as you sure, sort sure. of go. I don't know that that really is a perfect marriage, what you're singing about. <laughs> but he's singing, I'm ready now. I'm ready now. Marry me a little. Um, and then he, the play goes on to act two. The vignettes continue. And what Bobby reflects on in the couples tends to be now a little bit more positively oriented towards their relationships and towards marriage and towards his friendships. Um, in terms of his girlfriends, he has a girlfriend who's a flight attendant who just continually has to take off after they spend the night together. And that has been unsatisfying for Bobby. Um, he has a girlfriend named Marta who's, uh, she calls herself the soul of New York City. Um, and she's sort of a uh, a wild um a wild energy that Bobby is just simply not able to keep up with. <laughs> um, and then he has a girlfriend named Kathy, and Kathy and him in a park in New York City in one of the most lovely written scenes of the whole play. Um, they realize that they probably did have a chance to get married at one time, and they both sort of missed it. And Kathy has decided to move back to her home in Vermont and marry someone else. In one of the more heartbreaking lines, he asks, did you just all of a sudden fall in love? And she says, I'll be a good wife. I want real things now. Right. Um, and so she leaves him and leaves New York City. The scene, of course, ends with the famous line, there's a time to come to New York and there's a time to leave New York. Eventually, the musical ends with Bobby singing the great musical number, Being Alive, Someone to Hold You Too Close, Someone to Sit in Your Chair, Someone to Put You Through Hell, uh, the a sort of reflection on the joy of being with someone. Um, and then, in a sort of confusing end to the musical, we return to the 35th birthday party. Only this time, all the scenes we've seen from this birthday party, which have been interspersed throughout the play, it seems like we've started over. And now the friends are just waiting in this apartment for Bobby to show up for their surprise party. But Bobby hasn't shown up. They're all commenting about how he never came. Um, and how weird that was. And they think, maybe we'll call him tomorrow. And they all sort of decide to just leave him alone. Um, and they all exit, and the stage direction calls for Bobby to sort of walk out as if he's been hiding in his apartment from his friends the right. whole time um, and blow out the candles. And that ends this wild, funny, hard to uh, place exactly what's happening when and where it's nonlinear. Um, and Sondheim claims it was really the first commercial success of a nonlinear, non-plot driven show. Um, now, that's just Sondheim claiming that. He wrote the musical, so, you know, it benefits him <laughs> to say that. But that that's the Sondheim claim. And that's right. company. Whew. Yeah, nicely done. Yeah, yeah. No, it's – and and that, that kind of, like, um, uh, ephemeral sense of timeline in the play leaves it open for a lot of great conversations around journey and stuff like that, but not, like, timeline journey. It's, like, character journey and theme development. Like, the theme of company, for instance – changes throughout the play the title of the play company right um at the start of the play it's nice to have company right it's and all the company is all these friends of 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 bobby's that that envelop his life but and actually he's sort of the company right i mean the, yeah the, the song is really about all the times that bobby visits his married friends and the the exchange that all these five couples keep singing in this rhythmic exchange that all bounces around his name we've been trying to call 
come on over for dinner, swing by on your way home from work, yep. and be company to us, the married couple. We need company. Even though they're the ones that, I mean, like in what marriage is, have company every day. They're, I mean, yeah. they live together. Right, exactly. and that. But that's then the flip, right? So then in being alive towards the end of the play, he's talking about someone to keep him company. And the, and the, ter- the, or the, the idea around company or the idealized... Uh, or the the ideal of company changes to be someone who is who is with you. Someone uh, uh, one of the lines in that song is "alone is alone, not alive." So he's he's playing with that playing with that uh, notion of generalized company. All these lives that he gets to keep uh, up with versus the one person who keeps up with all of their life. Right, you can see that contrast. I think you're exactly on point, and one of the great little discoveries of the show is the evolution of the word company. In the opening number, they sing, uh, all of his friends sing, Bobby, come on over for dinner. We'll be so glad to see you. Bobby, come on over for dinner. Just be the three of us. Only the three of us. We love you. And then Robert picks up, I think this is the first line he sings, phone rings, door chimes, in comes company, no strings, good times, room hums, company. Yeah. And it goes on to, in being alive uh, to sing about just keep me or I actually I think this might be marry me a little the big act one finally uh, keep me company yeah yeah yeah, no, that, that that act one final is like full of all of those, like the tension, right, of of wanting wanting company, wanting to be kept company, but then also the 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 line um uh keeping a tender distance so that they'll both be free. So you have he's he's really like struggling with with both of these dynamics, right? Loving the people he's around, but also knowing that he's missing out on something, or that and this is another thing that comes up a lot, that life is not something to be watched, but something to be lived. So when are you gonna make the jump a lot of his friends kind of push him to make the jump into some sort of committed relationship yeah and and i think that the way that he reflects on marriage on relationships at the end of act one is that tension and it's perhaps why i think the song is so brilliant is that it feels like he's making a step and really, as you listen to the song, you realize the step he's making is maybe not as grand as he thinks it is. <laughs> right, because right. his conception of relationship that he sings in this grand marry me, but marry me a little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love yeah. me just enough. Mm-hmm. Cry not too often. Play not too rough. Keep a tender distance so we'll both be free, right? So he, Bobby is a dude who is uh, afraid dastardly afraid of commitment yeah yeah and it's really just like like events that happen to him that push him those little steps forward um again it's not a linear step forward we don't know exactly when these are all happening but that uh the the marry me a little song comes right after his like episode with amy and paul where where he watches them kind of devolve amy is freaking out kind of having a manic episode and doesn't want to get married paul eventually leaves um, and and heads outside and and that like prompts him to say marry me what if what if you and I got married and then people would just leave us alone <laughs> um, and that that's kind of like the, the 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 a breaking in his is in his persona Amy eventually says no and runs after Paul um, but then he sings the marry me a little um, the the uh, the last song the being alive. Uh, comes after Joanne offers to have an affair with him, and he and she says, "I'll take care of you." And he says, "Well, then, who do I take care of? Who will I take care of?" And Joanne recognizes that as another breaking point where where the, this this like 
the, the the journey that he's on of of wanting something, wanting someone to take care of who will also take care of him, pushes him towards the next song being alive. Yeah, the the encounter with Joanne is somehow the prompting moment that causes in a I mean again it's not really a causal play but right. in some way the encounter with Joanne and the incredible song The Ladies Who Lunch if you have yeah. not seen a performance of The Ladies Who Lunch oh my goodness it is a bring the house down show stopping uh, yep. solo performance it's an incredible song and something about that encounter prompts this reflection being alive which is seems like truly a step forward because he sings about the fullness of a relationship uh, rather than the Marry Me a Little, which is singing not about. He wants a relationship, but not the fullness of a relationship, right? right? You, right. you encounter those two things. But it's it's not it's not totally clear what about the encounter with Joanne causes that. It could be that Joanne is... Um, is a prompt by negative example, right? That she's been married several times. In fact, throughout the play, she makes divorce and remarried jokes, which um, in, in Sondheim's brilliance, all of those humor jokes in the songs pay off when you realize she wasn't joking. She's been real pain the whole time. And he does right. that in almost every musical he writes. He's a genius at it. Um, and so when she gets to Ladies Who Lunch, you sort of see the the pain of that come out and you see her claim to be the thing that she's told Bobby not to be the whole play, which is a person who just sits and watches. And it could be that that prompt by negative example, do I want to be like Joanne? Because Joanne and her husband are quite a bit older than Bobby. That's another note. Um, Do I want to be like Joanne when I'm that age? No, that could be what prompts the end of the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Joanne is this, like, really intricate character throughout. She has, I mean, she's woven through with all these kind of cynic lines, jokes about divorce, jokes about relationships. Um, she She's the one who sings the the little things you do together as, as the couple is, like, having this karate fight um, early on, one of the kind of sweet songs, but also ironic songs to be juxtaposed with this couple that's fighting. Um, and, and I agree, in that last scene, you see it all kind of weaving its way out of her and in the in the song ladies who lunch in her interactions with larry who's this kind of carefree guy who's dancing in the in the club that they're at to her chagrin um uh and and yeah you just kind of see a lot of that um not quite unravel but but uh reveal itself in the in the pain that it is and i wonder if that isn't some of the clarity that bobby gets is seeing this friend of his who has this kind of veneer of impassibility of of uh, cynicism and the willingness to engage uh things with the joke and the sarcasm um break a little bit and and be honest about the pain that she's in and one of the things that is kind of said over and over about company is that company is a play which takes place in the brain of the main character, that it is not a play that is like uh, a real world play. This is a play, and the end of the play sort of suggests this, the end of the musical, where Bobby walks out after his friends have left the apartment, that everything we've witnessed is his imagination 
uh, while watching or hiding from his friends right. in his apartment as they're trying to throw him this surprise party. And there are, are lots of clues to this. And and I want to say, as a just a little plug, but also just a recognition where some of this comes from, that that um, some of what uh, Jackson and I are talking about is is part and parcel borrowed from a really great conversation that was held about company by playwright Jeffrey Sweet and several other people um, who he invited to this conversation, including members of the original cast. Jeff Sweet has what's called the Playwrights Roundtable, um, which is one evening a month. He gathers together experts on the, a play, including cast members, designers, as well as other playwrights to discuss a particular piece of art. They just had a great conversation about Raisin in the Sun. They're about to do one on Lemon Sky, um, which you can check out. That'll be their July conversation. You can look all that up online if you're interested, the Playwrights Roundtable. And so they had a conversation about company. I was not able to attend the actual live conversation, but Jeff Sweet was kind enough to share with us a recording of their conversation. And so some of these clues I've mentioned are things that noted by playwright Jeff Sweet. But you notice things like um, there are songs sung by the three girlfriends together. And these are three people that have absolutely no reason to know each other. In fact, right. if you're Bobby, you really don't want them to know each other. Yeah, they're right? kept, kept separate, yeah. <laughs> right. So why did that why would they sing a song together? Well, they don't. This is Bobby's imagination of what they might feel about him. Right, right. Notably, that's the "You Could Drive a Person Crazy" song um, that that uh, that they all sing together um, as he's as he's kind of reflecting on his hesitancy to to form a relationship. And yeah, I think the the idea that this is all his kind of brainscape. Um, and if, if you really, if, yeah, if you if you really wanted to try to make sense of the timey wiminess of this play, you could say that you know him blowing out the not blowing out the candles or blowing out the half the candles are his different versions of how the night could go if he stepped out of the room and joined his friends. Um, uh, but uh, the final scene is the one where that, that actually happens. None of that actually happened. He lets them go. They say happy birthday. Um, and he just kind of has this this mental dialogue with himself about, about both past interactions and possible interactions. And so some of the scenes then are memories, you would say. Memories yeah. of real times that he's gone over to his friends' uh, uh, houses or apartments, because it's New York City, and yeah. uh, in sort of lived with them and seen what he can see. And then a lot of the songs are kind of an imaginative landscape that exists. For example, there's a great comic number where his uh, five guy friends sing about all these girls that they have to set him up with. And it's sort of like, that. I mean, that doesn't really happen, right? So this is right. his imagination, his conglomeration of all the different times one of these guys is saying, I got this gal for you! Right, right. And the other times where it devolves into like a full like number, right? When there, there's this great scene um, where, where where everyone, I think it's side by side, um, is is the song that has this great kind of like show lineup that happens, um, and all the couples are out there, uh, kind of dancing and singing this song side by side, and each of them has this trade off moment where I believe the the husband of the pair does a move and like points to the wife and and she does the move back all down the line until Bobby is the one who does a move and there's no one there to answer the move back to him. So all of these are like you know high concept sort of uh, uh, things that. that that, like you imagine could be occupying his mind, especially uh, someone who's as much of a showman as Bobby is, as he as he kind of exemplifies throughout. And so these scenes that are the um, the what is actually the book of the play, primarily these scenes between 
Bobby as the third wheel to another couple or a couple of scenes with Bobby and these girlfriends. And you sort of see a pattern start to establish when Bobby goes over to his friend's house, his married friends, his good and crazy people, my married friends, he sings about. (laughs) And the pattern is um, it's something that when you describe sort of sounds like it would get old. But it, each of the scenes are so varied and so well paid off that it sort of doesn't get old. And what happens is that Bobby witnesses for a good two-thirds of the scene a uh, a couple that seems like there's some issues going on. Yeah. <laughs> they're arguing. They're correcting each other. They're having fun, but also uh, needling each other. They're deciding not to get married in the case of Paul and Amy. And so there <laughs> seems to be these negative portrayals of these marriages. And then as these scenes reach an end, there's like something that comes out that's more warm and and more affectionate. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes when the scene comes back around, like uh, like in the instance of, oh dear, uh, Susan and Peter who are getting the divorce, um, uh, the, the first scene, they disco- he discovers they're getting the divorce and they seem to be o- kind of okay with it. And then the second time it comes around, they're divorced, but still living together. And they say that their marriage is in fact stronger now that they're divorced. Um, so, so you have, yeah, it's, it's, it's this kind of cycle of, oh, there's, there's something wrong here, but, but somehow y'all are still together. Um, and that's some, sometimes that's summed up into songs like Sorry Grateful that talks about this paradox of relationship where sometimes you're sorry you got married. Sometimes you're grateful, but you're always both of those things like that. And it, and it pays it off that way of, of the kind of like, but you know, you're ready for the, but you're always glad of it or something like that. But it, it comes back with, you're always both of those things. Yeah. And, and like the first one that occurs, which is, um, I think it might be the more obvious of all of them. Um, that that then there's more subtlety used in kind of the 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 scenes that follow, like the example that you just gave. But the the more obvious of them is the Sarah and Harry scene. This is the scene with the couple that's one of them's on the wagon in terms of trying to be sober, and one of them's on the wagon in terms of on a diet, and they're needling each other, they're correcting each other, they're almost outright verbally fighting, and then they end up physically fighting when they go into this. She's going to demonstrate her karate skills, and she sort of one ups him, and he tries to physically one up her and it goes back and forth and Bobby is sort of watching wide-eyed and making clever quips about bourbon basically the whole time right until the end of that scene before the sorry grateful song where they're they sort of needle each other again about who's going to turn off the lights and then there's this kind of overwhelming moment of tenderness and warmth where uh they say just how much they love each other and you start to feel maybe what we just witnessed is not the um the devastating loss of marriage you know that that their marriage is going to fall apart that maybe we thought it was but it's part of the pattern of their 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 thing that works whatever it is right right and that and that and you know we're asking those questions while bobby is asking those questions right bobby is on the outside of these relationships he's friends with them he's invited into confidence both sides uh take him into their confidence and tell him about the other um and yet he still has these questions he's trying to figure it out from the outside without ever having to make the jump himself 
um, and and all his friends are telling him to make the jump. He's you know trying as best as he can, but then then you have the three different girlfriends that you see the ways that he tries. Right, you see the way that he tries with uh, Kathy, who he ends up waiting too long and keeping too much of a tender distance and 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 it, it ends in both of them wishing that they had maybe spoken up a little bit sooner um you see, and and that continues throughout the relationships you see with April um he kind of he kind of commits he has her over they spend the night together he tells her he wants her to stay and not go to Barcelona which is a great great song in the in the musical as well one of the famous ones and she chooses to stay and all of a sudden he's kind of left with the gravity of what he has now asked for and he d wonders if he actually wanted that in the first place so you get you get the kind of pattern of him trying out the things that he sees even as he's watching them from the outside and 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 not quite sure whether it works for him or not and that kind of leads into one of the things that seems crucial for the musical to work which is kind of the question of why are we watching this person go through this, right? And and the answer, I think, has to be Bobby has to be in a negative place for this musical to work. He has to have a problem. And the problem has to be loneliness or um, uh, uh, realizing his life isn't what it was going to be. Or I guess there's a multitude of problems he could have. But he can't just be okay because the musical doesn't work if he's okay. On his 35th birthday, that has to prompt some sort of turmoil that's been building for a while. And the turmoil spills over and causes the musical, which may just be him working through the turmoil while he's hiding from his friends right. at the party, right? That could be the... Or it could be him sort of reliving all of these moments that have caused the turmoil he's in. But there has to be a turmoil in Bobby to drive some of the reflection that makes up the concept musical that is company. Right, right. I wonder if some of it, this is this is like, it's this is not a high level thing in the play, but I wonder if some of it isn't also his kind of, uh, exhaustion with having these many friends. Um, there's there's a couple songs that kind of cheat this a little bit. Just the way the music is written with this constant refrain of Bobby, 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 um, and all these people kind of uh, telling him to do something or asking him to do something. Yeah, they are pretty annoying. <laughs> yeah, and every once in a while, uh, depending on the staging and depending on 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 how you choose to play the character, there's the opportunity for him to be exhausted by by this back and forth. And then you have the added thing of the end, the the final birthday scene of him choosing to be alone um, in in that moment too. So I think that's in there too. The 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 uh, problem he's having with being splintered across all these relationships, desiring to be known, desiring to have company, but maybe not this like kind of splinter effect that he's that he's experiencing and constantly being pulled in different directions, never being home, always being in someone else's home, a part of someone else's life. Yeah, as part of this playwrights roundtable discussion, Jeff Sweet, you can hear him reflect on the differences between Raul Esparza's performance in 2016 and Neil Patrick Harris's performance of Company. And I, I very much agree with what he says. I love the the version of the musical with Neil Patrick Harris, and I think is really well directed and quite a spectacle, really fun. But I actually agree that I did not think Neil Patrick Harris was that good of a Bobby, and I couldn't quite place my finger on it. Part of it is uh, he couldn't quite sing. In 
in comparison with some of the professional singers. That, I mean, Neil Patrick Harris can sing, but like they had some real singers in that show. Sure, uh, sure. So that was part of it. But the other part of it was just something I couldn't put my finger on until I listened to Jeff Sweet talk about it. And he, I think he said it well, which is Neil Patrick Harris never seems like he has any problems at all. He is as confident and humorous and funny as anybody out there. And so he plays a Bobby that doesn't seem like he's in turmoil. And so the musical felt a little bit stagnant with him in that role. Whereas uh, Jeff Sweet had this great quote about Raul Esparza. He said, Raul Esparza looks like he's got problems just walking down the street. (laughs) (laughs) And so he plays a Bobby that really seems like something is wrong. And Mm. that something is wrong is, again, there's not really a plot, but if there were, it would be like the inciting incident, right? Something is wrong and I have to do something about it. Right, right. And and that that really kind of pushes him along because, I mean, think think of the choice to ask Amy to marry him um, in that moment. Like that's a choice that can't just be made flippantly. Um, or, or I guess it, it can be, but it's n- it's not the I mean, same. It weight. is, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. But but like, there's got to be something that is pushing him underneath all of that, right? Like friends that you ha- that you've hang out with, you've just seen them uh, uh, go through a breakup on their wedding day. There's got to be this like this like drive, this like maybe this is the moment because he he asked that question throughout. Like, is there is there a waiting too long? Um, I forget which song it is, but he has this reflection on. Um, Maybe I've waited too long, but maybe whoever's out there that I'm going to marry waited too long too, and maybe we will we will find each other. So there's that like there's that fear of a missed moment. Maybe is part of is part of what's wrong and fear uh, about time passing. He's in his thirties, um, so so yeah, uh, all these things are kind of playing into the the uh, the fear or the. Um, yeah, the, the 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 itch or or what's wrong with him as he's as he's trying to figure out how to live life. And and it's it's a question also of who the heck is Bobby that he's gotten into this place in life. I mean, we know that he's a ladies' man for sure. I mean, um, and and we we actually we see him be quite seductive several times throughout the play. Um, but why has that then ended? at this sort of blockade of commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. And it'd be interesting, I think, to hear many of the different Bobbies across the history of this play talk about what they have found in the character. Why is Bobby so afraid of committing to anybody? Instead, he likes to just sort of sweep through people's lives, right? That's the company song. Just visit um, and then get out of there. In fact, he's a visitor in his own home. There's a great poignant line in the scene with April where he April is commenting on all the wonderful things about his apartment, and he says something like, yeah, I'm never really here. I just go from the door to the bedroom into the bathroom to get ready to go back out again. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like... Um, yeah, like there's there's clues around, but like as far as like picking a thing, it's tough. Like you have the question late in the play uh, that I believe he asked Joanne um, or Joanna the the um, what do you get from being married? Um, and there's like there's this like like he sees the things, he sings about the things, but still late in the play, he's still asking. What do you get? I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. Like how how is this good especially with Joanne who um has all of this kind of prickly exterior towards Larry, towards marriage in general. He just keeps asking, I don't get it. What what do you have that makes this so alluring to you still? 
And Joanne is not, like you said, a great person to answer that question. (laughs) They are the more unique of his five married friend couples. I mean, all of the couples are really, really written as unique and interesting people. And um, it's interesting to listen to some of the history of the musical because for a while, especially before some of the major revisions were made, the musical has really felt like it was about the friends because Bobby was not as clearly written. He was more of just a... Kind of, not, kind of an everyman introduction to all these crazy friends. And the crazy friends part was kept, but the character of Bobby is more fully developed into the person, the sort of cipher mystery man that drives what the show is. Um, but the, the, all of the married friends are really interesting, fascinating characters, and you enjoy the time that you spend with them. But the Larry and Joanne relationship is the one, again, we've talked about, that might be kind of the negative example for Bobby. They're they're in a they're just in a, a harder different place. I mean and and maybe I, I don't know. I don't I don't want to give her just the term negative, but like I feel like I feel like cynic or or um or or ah, I mean realistic is a little cynical to to say myself, but like she's been through a lot in her marriages. She she uh, accounts uh, uh, at least one of her marriages. She doesn't get to the second husband. Um, but but yeah. So so you you need. I feel like you need that weight. Um, you need the weight because uh, a lot of the other ones end on this kind of ding happy note. Um, even even while we hold the the kind of uh, tension of of some of the fights and some of the squabbles that they have but uh amy and paul do get married uh harry harry and sarah are okay and and kind of have this really nice scene about how much they love each other so so you kind of need the 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 flip side of the coin someone someone who holds down some of the uh the cynicism to to counteract all that sweetness and then even in the larry joanne relationship there are these odd little moments where the prickly relationship that they seem to have uh, goes away a little bit. Like Larry has this lovely monologue. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Um, I'm just going to sort of skip my way through it and summarize. He says, see, every day Joanne tests me to see if I'll go away. Twice a year, my wife here packs up to leave, so I'll ask her to stay. Da 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 da. He says, um, "Now me, I married this wildly conceited broad with no self-esteem. I got a wife who still has this hard time believing that she found a guy she daily fascinates. I'm a happy man. She doesn't act like this when you're not around. I hope you get to meet Joanne sometime. She's a really terrific lady. If in fact you decide to get married, Bobby, make sure you find someone just like Joanne." Yeah. Yeah, so even there, I mean, it's mostly from Larry that you get that sort of tenderness. But even there, you get you get the kind of undercurrent that is a part of all these relationships, that undercurrent specifically that Bobby is trying to figure out. And then she proposes the affair. Yeah, <laughs> just like, it's wild. It's just it like... throws everything. It's not even like, uh, it doesn't feel like something's like building. Bobby has this, uh, this monologue which indicates that he is uh, going through a season of depression, which again, that turmoil, he says he's how low yeah. he's been feeling lately. And Joanne's response to that is basically, when are we going to make it? And she tries to drive 
this thing forward after her husband Larry has said such wonderful things about her. It's true. You almost like it's almost to the point that especially then her subsequent uh, statements that she has helped him out enormously. When Larry comes back, she kind of obliquely um, uh, hints that she has helped out Bobby enormously, helped him unblock something that has been blocked for a long time. Well, and that's a question, right? I mean, is a a better reading not better in terms of like um, uh, b- better educated or, or better awesome or something like that. I just mean a more positive reading sure. of Joanne would be that she's not truly proposing an affair. She's trying to shock Bobby out of this low place, this uh, into uh, a, a state where he's going to be ready to make this change. She sees him on the precipice because when she prompts him, and, and one of his responses, as you've already mentioned, is, but who will I take care of? Her next line immediately is, well, did you hear yourself? Did you hear what you just said, kiddo? He says, I didn't mean that. She says, I just heard a door open that's been stuck a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so in in that reading or in that subtext, um she she's she's done a, a masterful thing, which is kind of bring him to the point of of being able to ask that question. Um being able Now now of course some some uh some handy theatrical inhibitions have been removed by the virtue of them being in a club together and drinking a lot. Um but but she has kind of helped him to state something that he didn't really know he wanted the whole time. This, this like, who will I get to take care of and who will take care of me? How will this reciprocity work if it's just you taking care of me? And interestingly, both Joanne and earlier, uh, one of his other friends makes this sort of commentary on the way that Bobby talks and relates to people. And it, 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 to me, it seems like similar commentary, although they use different phrases. Um, I think it's Sarah that uh, notes over and over again how many questions Bobby has. Mm. That he basically lives his whole conversations in questions. And of course, the I think the sub point there is when you ask a question, you don't reveal much about yourself. You just prompt other people to reveal about themselves. And then later on, Joanne is again trying to sort of prompt and push Bobby in this club. She's trying to get him to smoke for the first time, which seems a little bit dastardly, you know, all these years <laughs> later, but so it goes. Um, and, and she, he says something like, no, you go ahead and smoke. I'll just watch. And she has yeah. that same sort of commentary. Did, did you hear what you just said? You say that kind of stuff all the time. I'll just watch. You can't just watch, Bobby. Right. You got you to gotta kind of jump in and get, get involved with it. We're, we're, we're approaching the end of our time, approaching the end of the season, but I do want to, I, I just want to ask you, Jacob, this is a relatively new play to me. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't listened to it for a long time. Uh, I knew of it for a while, but really kind of, this is my first deep dive into this play. I wanted to ask you, you've been excited for it for a while. Um, and this is a play that you love. What do you love about this play? What is kind of the, the thing that reverberates the most? Why does it kind of come up in your mind as, as, as a musical that is, that is near and dear? to you yeah that that's such a fascinating question and one of the things that i love about it is uh, to me this is uh sondheim at the height of his powers uh my wife brianne and i were watching one of the productions the other night and every once in a while throughout the songs i just had to shake my head and go he's just showing off <laughs> he is just showing off right now yeah. his lyricism his musicality are just on full display and he manages to do what 
uh, I think as a, as a director and theater artist, I find most attractive in musicals, which is the talk-sing effect. I am mm. not as interested in musicals where the songs don't sound like someone would actually speak. They sound like we've had a conversation and now I'm going to take a break and sing a song that you'd hear on the radio, which doesn't sound anything like people talk. Sondheim is a master of talking conversations, talking reflections, songs that sound like conversation even as they are set to music. And this musical is so profoundly good at that. It is also hilarious, and it's got this sarcastic, dry wit that is exactly my funny bone. I mean, I laugh my way through the whole thing. <laughs> every joke, every moment just hits me right on. And then it it does that in, um, in juxtaposition with some real poignancy, which I think is, I think is hard to achieve in musicals because there's this kind of general cheesiness that is a musical. Uh, it's hard to really land moments that are really, really poignant to me. That's my sense of musicals. And this one does it so exquisitely well. Yeah, I think you're right on with that. The, the the way that this musical plays with both the flippancy of Bobby's relationship with these people and the deep connection of the relationship with these people is just astounding. And and you're and you're absolutely right too about the the um the way that the musical becomes vernacular or or the way that you believe that these characters have to sing this um, uh, because there's no other way to express it, but they're still saying something that they would say. I think of Another Hundred People, which is a song that Marta sings, which is just this song of wonder about New York, right? The song of, of there's a hundred people getting off of the train right now. You know, another two minutes of the song goes by and that refrain is repeated. Um, you, you have the patter song of, of uh, getting married today where Amy just like has this inner brain monologue that, that like so many of us have had before, not exactly around a wedding day, but this like tirade of, of like, of slowly derailing mind. So, so yeah, that like, uh, that, that, that truth and, and, um, I'll use vernacular again, vernacular of, of thought and spoken word that he manages to work into his songs is incredible. And Sondheim in interviews gives a lot of that credit to George Firth. He, he's uh, one of the things that's great about him is he's not one to, to claim that everything is his. He loves to talk about the, the fact that in a lot of his musicals, he thinks the, the show is really more them than him because they write the characters and the dialogue. And he'll just say things like, you know, I'm a pretty good mimic. You give me a character and some dialogue and I can make a song sound like them. He undersells himself. I mean, the the guy is an absolute master. And if you don't really know and love Sondheim's body of work, I mean, just listen to company. You just listen to how exquisite he can write lyrics. I mean, the lyrics Mm -hmm. are so funny. There are there's a dry wit as characters sing. I mean, how hard is that to achieve? Yeah. A dry, sarcastic wit in the songs. <laughs> it is incredible, yeah. And and he's a master of, of just the music as well. If you're a fan of Sondheim, there's, there's riffs and motifs that he works in from most of his works and yet somehow makes them uh, kind of come together in, in completely new ways. So you'll you'll hear the familiar notes of, of another play that you like completely reformed into, into this beautiful, an, an, another beautiful, iteration of the same kind of stanzas and and crescendos and i think just as the kind of maybe our last note here the other thing i love about it because it's a concept musical is it requires really a a sense of theatricality that is not based in um like 
box set four walls, right? I mean, you have to produce this show in such a way that you can live in an imaginative landscape. Yeah. And that often means um, some kinds of minimalism or reimagination. The great John Doyle production with Raul Esparza is, uh, it, it is a masterwork in things like mime and representation. I mean, there's no real set. There's a bench and a piano. And uh, when Bobby and April have their uh, sex scene, they're sort of sitting, kissing on the piano bench and then there's the song and they end up kind of curled together just leaning against the piano as if they're in bed together i mean it's very focused on audience imagination uh, both in the writing and then in kind of the way that you almost have to produce it based on what you're getting well, there's so much more that we could talk about this show. Uh, so many different, like you could you could just go in and like look at the individual scenes and have long conversations about the individual couples and how Bobby interacts with the couples. That speaks to the writing of the show and how it's all pulled off. So we would love to keep having the conversation. Alas, we are at the end of our time. So we'd love to continue the conversation and invite you all out there in podcast land to join in. If you're looking for someone to have a conversation about company uh, with, uh, we're those people you can find us on uh, uh on the social medias at facebook instagram and twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com hit us up on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about this play with you Absolutely. And if you liked this episode, our other episodes, any of our six seasons, more than 140 conversations Whoa. about scripts, Whoa. <laughs> uh, please recommend the podcast to your family and friends. We see that that continually happens. More and more people discover us, and so we're so grateful for that. You can send folks to Spotify, to Podbeam, where we're hosted, to Apple Podcasts, to Google Play. If you're a little less tech-savvy and you need an easy way to access the podcast, just like us on Facebook. Then you'll be able to see the advertisements that come out about what script is coming up. And every Monday when we publish a new episode, there's a link right there on our Facebook page. You can click it, and it will open up the page where you can just listen to the podcast right from there. Thank you all for another great season of No Script. Until next season, when we'll be bringing more conversations about theater's best scripts to you, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. I echo Jackson. Thanks for joining us for this season. It's been a privilege. We'll see you next time. See ya.